Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to Heart Empowered Women Radio with your host, Clarice Connolly. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Heart Empowered Women Podcast. I am your hostess, Clarice Connolly, and I am so excited to share with you today's guest. My intention for Heart Empowered Women Podcast is always to find women that have faced some sort of adversity, that has lived a life that maybe we can all hear inside of ourselves. And maybe the story isn't exactly like yours, but how can you hear the possibility? How can you hear the gift that this episode could be for you? How could you hear maybe that next step, that next big step, or some more to chew on, some thoughts to swirl around for a little bit. And I promise you, this is nothing short of empowering and profound and important. So listen in with open ears and a wide open heart. Today, we're going to interview Cosette Leary, who goes by Coco. I love this woman. I've had the wonderful honor of getting to know her radiance and her jubilant just energy that she brings and can fill a whole entire room with. She is a motivational speaker. She's a professional coach, an author, an educator, and she has faced some of what I feel the toughest adversities I could only imagine. Overcoming childhood of poverty, abuse, growing up in orphanages, group homes, foster homes since the age of 12. She ended up finding herself pregnant at 14 and has raised four magnificent children through all of the hard work and painful decisions that she's gone through. And I just love it because you could stop there, but she's so victorious and committed and so tenacious that she went on to get a degree in public administration and she graduated summa cum laude and was senatorial and a Congress. She worked at a Congress, congressional office. I just, I'm so excited for you to get to fall in love with her as much as I do and to learn more about her. Welcome to Heart Empowered Women, Coco. Hello, Clarice. Thank you so much. What a beautiful introduction. I applaud your wonderful emotional compassion Mm. and empowerment. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here as your guest. This is an honor and a privilege for me. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being on. And um, I'm just so excited to just dive in like you are, I feel like you're a one in a million, like, thanks for, you know, being the handed, maybe the short end of the stick and being like, (laughs) no, 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 I want the long one. Thank you. And I am at work to get it. So how did you find yourself where you were? Like, give us a little like Mm. background of your story and what that experience is that like, I can't even honestly imagine. Thank you. Well, a lot of it started to come to a peak in the early, the kind of mid 80s, 1980s. In 1985, I was 12 years old and I lived in a very dysfunctional home like so many people have experienced growing up in dysfunctional homes. And there was a lot of physical, emotional and mental abuse in my home with my mother and her husband. And it was very dangerous for me. My mother would beat me with the refrigerator cord. And the refrigerator cord, of course, uh, would bust my skin wide open, you know, I mean, when it would hit me. And so that just gives you kind of idea of the brutality in that home setting. Mm -hmm. But even in that, there was still a silver lining. And that was my biological father and his family. In fact, his mother is named Cosette. Mm -hmm. And I am named after her. Mm -hmm. And my father 
and my mother remained a couple until I was seven years old. Mm -hmm. So of course, in 1985, I'm 12, but now I'm talking about when I was seven and Mm -hmm. when I was six and five and four and three, three is my earliest memory. And to kind of give a good example of where the bubbly side of me is that everybody nowadays knows and loves so much. I love talking about what me and my dad were like. Mm. And I do want to mention that he, he died when I was 12 as well. Oh, I'm so sorry. 1985 was a very difficult year yeah, for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. Oh. On top of other difficult years that I had already endured at such a tender age. Mm-hmm. But I'll take us back to me being three years old. And we're living in Longview, Washington. But I grew up predominantly in Sacramento, California. Oh, I li- I know Sacramento. You know Sacramento. Yeah, I lived there for a year. <laughs> well, let me tell you, my neighborhood was Oak Park. You ever heard of it? I have. Yep. Girl, the ghetto. You heard yep. of it. Uh, <laughs> you know where I'm coming from. So I grew up in Oak Park. Mm-hmm. But when I was three years old, me and my dad had this beautiful relationship he taught me the power of imagination Mm. and he would say to me what's your name and I'd say Cosette Leary and he said say it louder I said Cosette Leary and he said say it louder I said Cosette Leary damn right that's who you are Mm. and he would tell me how beautiful I was and how smart I was and we had a love for the Bee Gees and mm. Crystal Gale. And my dad would come home from work and he'd take my little tiny tot size three-year-old self and he'd place me on top of the coffee table and he'd go put on that 45 because back then they mm. had 45, you know, records. Mm. <laughs> and it would be Crystal Gale or it'd be the Bee Gees. And he'd have me my wooden spoon and we'd do our duets together. You know, he would stand next to me or get on his knees so he could be at my level. And I remember that. And then also, my grandparents purchased eight acres of land in Longview and built a home out there. And it was like something out of a Disney movie. There were little baby rabbits that my dad always told me was Thumper. Yes. I was so little, I didn't realize that Thumper couldn't get born over and over every year. You know, I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and of course, the deer were Bambi and the elk. I don't mm. know who they were. They were just elk and the mole for moles. And I grew up calling that Cosette and George Holt Acres. That's what I named my grandfather. And I would have the best imagination out there with my dad. We'd take these walks and they had a rolling brook and, you know, there would be tadpoles and gardener snakes that would scare me to death with their yellow streak across their black scaly skin. And it was just the magic of love and imagination. Mm -hmm. And those were the things that I held on to when my parents divorced when I was seven Mm. and I inherited a very brutal household. Mm. I would retract back to me and my dad singing Crystal Gale or the Bee Gees or walking the land that my grandparents had. So in the mixture of the chaos in my mother's home, my heart and soul carried the beauty of my dad and his mom. And that is still in my heart to this day. That is Coco amplified. Mm -hmm. That's where that personality comes from. So now I I wanted to add that because the rest of the story at this particular part of my life is kind of dark. And back in 1985, child abuse was not something that was on the forefront. Mm -hmm. It was a very quiet, shut away thing. And domestic violence itself was starting to get some footing because a wonderful actress named Farrah Fawcett had played in a movie called The Burning Bed. Mm -hmm. And I remember being a little girl watching that movie and thinking to myself that what was happening to that grown up woman was happening to me in my house. And so I was able to relate to it. Mm -hmm. So when I was 12 years old, I made a break for it. I had already ran away three times and was brought back to my home by the Mm -hmm. police and fire department. 
and back then, again, child abuse wasn't on the forefront. So they would say that the bruises that I had were old. It didn't prove that this was happening to me exactly oh, right then gosh. and there. And of course, when they would leave, all hell would break loose because right. then my you mom did. and her mm-hmm. husband would beat the crap out of me for telling on them, you know, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So by 1985, my father passed away and that did something to me. It shifted mm. something in my body and my soul and my frame. And I decided that I was going to run away one last time. And yeah. this time I was not going to come back. Mm. And I remember I did something to provoke my mother's wrath. I don't remember what it was. I think I talk back to her or something but I wanted her to give me a present beating right then and there so that when I did run away whatever bruises cuts or whatever I had would be fresh and the police would see that this just happened and that's exactly what happened Mm. and I remember in the middle of that night I got up they had nailed my bedroom window shut but I had a fork and I pried all the nails out of the way I know right MacGyver you know <laughs> MacGyver, MacGyver. <laughs> oh, survival man survival you, it's real shoot, girl don't give me no paper clips and bubble gum and <laughs> <laughs> I'll build a car you know it's like, I it. so I pried the nails out with the fork and hopped out of there and hopped over the fence and ran for my dear life. And Mm -hmm. to make this long drawn out story shorter, I was, you know, the, the police came, they got called by a person in the neighborhood and Mm. I had not been around many Caucasian people in my lifetime. By that time, I had been around African-Americans, Latinos, like people from Laos, you know, Laotians and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but not so the officer that came and took one look at me and asked me who did this to me. And I told him my mother and her husband, he was Caucasian. And that man turned red right in front of me. And I had no Mm -hmm. idea that Caucasian people could turn red. And he he turned red. Even the tips of his ears were red. And Mm -hmm. he pushed a little thing on the side of his shoulder, the radio and put out an APB to arrest the parents at once. Mm -hmm. And I remember asking him, are you going to make sure I never have to go back? Oh, oh my God. That's so, and he uh, said, yes. He said, I'm calling the ambulance to take mm. you to CD med center. And I'm going to ride in the ambulance with you. I'm going to stay with you. And he went to the hospital with me and he stayed with me. Hmm. and they had this big old camera with a big old light bulb in it and they had me in a hospital gown twirling around you know turning around so they could take pictures Mm -hmm. of all the cuts and bruises and whatnot and he had to go after that you know because I guess as police officers made calls and I never got to see him again oh my gosh do you remember his name I have no idea but he taught me a very valuable lesson at 12 years old he Mm. told he taught me racism does not have a place in this world. Mm. And at 12 years old, Amen to that. my introduction to a Caucasian person was my hero. Mm. So mm. from that on, from then on at 12 years old, I was in a receiving home. Then I got into an orphanage. Then I got into a group home and then I got into a foster home. Why was, I'm kind of curious if I could pause you because okay. I've had a lot of friends. I mean, maybe a small handful of friends who've experienced or grown up in orphanages or foster homes. And um, I've not actually heard one really great thing about it. And no. given sort of the comparison of like, your alternative, right? Staying with your mother and her Uh, husband, like, what is the, like, how do you rate those against each other? Which would you have rather? I would have rather be an award of the court. I would have rather the receiving homes, the group Mm -hmm. homes, the the orphanage, the group homes, the foster homes than being at home. I would have died at home. The Mm -hmm. beatings were so horrific. I would have died at home. And I knew that. I knew that to be the case. So I, even for all of how terrible the receiving home, the orphanage, the group homes, the foster homes were, they were still better than being at home. Wow. And what's your, like, what is your, what made them so terrible? Like, what was it about these 
homes that uh, mm-hmm. is so rough. We were paychecks mm. and they let us know it. Ugh. So the individuals that housed all the children yeah. that were lost recently yeah. just they said yes. Let you know that, you know, if you don't like it here, there's 50 other kids waiting to take your spot right now. Mm. Wow. And do you think that this is like they just had to be mean because there's so many of them and so, uh, so few of, no. you know, how, just, no. that's just who these it people wasn't. are? You see, wow. the thing about that's just who they were. And wow. the thing about it, and it, it, you know, I every now and then I still go and look at stats to this day of like, you know, how many foster homes and stuff do they have in ratio to how many children are in waiting. And it's still mm-hmm. staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many kids that need placement and mm. so few placements. So, but back then it was really, they were giving foster families so much money to mm-hmm. house a child. I mean, they were giving a monthly, you know, a monthly salary to people wow. for us to live there. So we were really paychecks. We were commodities, if you will. Wow. You know, we were, and we were made to know that. And so you just grow up knowing you don't belong to anybody. My father mm-hmm. was dead. My mom was, you know, hellhound. And my grandmother was fighting tooth and nail with the state of California because she lived in the state of Washington. And she mm-hmm. was fighting my mom on trying to get me to Washington. So by the time my grandmother did get me to Washington, I'm 15 years old, eight months pregnant then, and about to pop with my daughter, Kayla. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandmother was so wonderful, you know, and I remember getting off the plane and her and her twin sister were at the airport and my cousin Linda, and I got off the plane and I was all belly girl. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. all belly, poking out like, I was the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah. You know, I was big and my grandma, I remember my grandma hugged me and she looked at me and she said, Is this my baby all grown up? She goes, Oh, child, look at your stomach. Oh, are you about to pop? And I start cracking up laughing. And Aww. I said, Yeah, Baba, I'm doing a month. And she said, Yeah, girl, if we make you to a month. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know it was like, oh my goodness, but it was the best thing in the world because to be loved to be yes and I remember when we got to their house on the eight acres and I'm 15 now so you imagine from the time when I used to walk that land with my dad and -hmm. look at baby rabbits and gardener snakes and frogs and moles and everything and now I find myself after all these tragedies that I had lived through that I'm back at Cosette and George's Hope acres mm. and the feeling I can't even describe to you in all honesty it the salvation mm-hmm. was unbelievable and I remember when we got back from the airport and we pulled into the garage granddaddy still had that electric garage door that opened and mm. he's still driving in old Lincoln Town cars and we we pulled in the garage and I saw the big old stack of wood pile that I had known from when I was a little bitty girl, three years old and stuff. And it still was a stack of wood pile there. And it was still was a big old deep freezer on the other side. And they still had them same old plank steps. Granddaddy never put in no fashionable modern steps. <laughs> they still had them plank steps, to, you know, wood plank steps to come up into the house, into the pantry. And the minute I opened the door, you know, behind my grandparents and my cousin and my grand auntie, my grandma's twin sister. Oh, I walked in behind them and the smell of the house. Oh, it just home. smells like home and love. I I could smell the canning peaches no. and <laughs> grandma's rank meat that she used for collard greens. And I, I <laughs> it was everything was that because up until I was seven years old, that's what I was always exposed to. So we moved to California. Mm-hmm. And I was home. I was safe. I was with my dad's mom Mm -hmm. and my grandpa. And that was the middle ground for me becoming strong in the things that my dad used to say to me when I was little. What's your name? Cosette Leary. Say it louder. Say it louder. 
you know, he, when he would tell me I was smart and beautiful and can do anything. And mm. that was that side of my family. So then my daughter was born a month later. She was born on my due date, May 25th. I was due May 25th and she was born May 25th. Wow. I feel like that never happens. <laughs> yeah. The only child I had that was born on due date. And, um, from then, you know, I started growing up, but mm-hmm. I still was dealing with, you know, heartache and the love for her father and whatnot. And mm-hmm. listening to my grandma, you know, her wisdom and the things she would tell me about stories about her life when she was a young girl. Because the interesting thing I want to add here is that I'm named after my grandmother and we both had our first child at 15 years old. Oh, wow. My grandmother was 15 when she had my father and I was 15 when I had Kayla. So that, that was, that's pretty much in a very short version, my childhood to adolescence. Mm. And in that time I had an array of feelings, you know, I, I went, Oh God, I can only imagine. Oh, yes. I went through suicidal thoughts, uh, uh, heartache and, questioning why my life is like this you know I would even ask God you know why are you why did you even have me born if this is what you were going to give me to live this life like you know so many questions so many different feelings and not even knowing myself you know I knew I was a mother Mm -hmm. I knew I was a heartbroken young girl because my daughter's father walked out of our life right when he basically found out I was pregnant for the most part you know he didn't want the baby I wanted the baby. I had to fight the court system to keep my child to not get an abortion. The court system tried to you know, tell me to get an Well, yeah, because you got to understand the dynamic that was faced at that time. I was the ward of the court. So oh. Sacramento County dollars paid for my room and board. Oh, now uh, I get it. Now you oh, get it. Gosh, that's Kayla, awesome. Kayla, the fetus in my stomach, she was not a ward of the court. Because she did not exist at first. She had never been abused. She had never been neglected. She did not belong to CPS. Wow. Wow. This was a problem. Uh, wow. I can't believe that. And I <laughs> I can't believe that's real. It's I can't even believe that's real. real. It's oh, real. She, did, she didn't have a social worker. Wow. Okay. Wow. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just like, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, and I just like, it brings tears to my eyes because if I, I know that maybe you aren't, you're listening and you don't know Coco, but this woman unapologetically takes up space. Like Hell you yeah. just radiate, <laughs> you just radiate. And it's like, if you are in a funk, and you are in within 20 feet of this woman, like you can just feel that. And mm. I just, oh man, tears streaming out of my eyes. Oh, um, I just like whoever's listening, like this is why I do this work. Like I, mm. I know that it's so hard to struggle. I know that it's so hard to keep pushing. I know that there's moments where it's like, why, why am I still going? Why am I still even bothering? Um, Oh, and I just can't stop dripping, leaking tears. Um, and I just want everyone to know that, like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, maybe it comes 30 years later, 10 years later, five years later. Um, so thanks for being such an inspiration. Like, thanks for being such a beacon of hope. And I think, you know, without even you saying it, I mean, there's such an impact to having stayed where you were and continuing on that path and to hear that you, you know, were fought for and the way that you then fought for yourself. I, I just really want to pause and acknowledge that that's empowering. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that tremendously. Hmm. I did fight the court system and I did tell them that I was not going to abort the child. I told, I remember telling the judge that the only family that I had in front of me was growing inside my belly. Mm-hmm. And you are asking me to kill the only family member yeah. that I have. I have nobody else right now and I won't do that. And of course, the judge was like, young lady, do you realize you were only 14 years old and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I, I, I do. Better. 
yeah, yeah. I, was, I was like I do realize that's how old I am he was like well how are you gonna raise a child and how are you going when you're just a child yourself and, and I mean those are those are I'm not here to advocate teen pregnancy but right. I was a teen that was pregnant and I was determined to keep my child you know and every time I hear things like Roe versus Wade and whatnot you know it it, it goes straight to my heart because mm-hmm. I had a court system trying to force me to get an abortion mm-hmm. and I wouldn't do it and I'm so glad I didn't do it because that child is 32 years old now and about mm-hmm. to become a doctor oh so, my gosh look at her I was just gonna say yeah I wonder if it says a lot about a baby that comes out on their exact due date <laughs> hey. like, she is deadline driven she <laughs> is on time is that is amazing time. yes gosh, she's is a so sergeant amazing. in the army she ran hospital tents in Syria and Turkey hmm. and that's when they begin to really notice that she really had the wherewithal the momentum and the critical thinking to go to the army's highest residency hospital and that's in san antonio texas and they moved out there and that's where she's been and both of her children were born in that hospital that she walks around with the white jacket on now Mm. and you know i love her to death and she's an entrepreneur and she's a sergeant and she's a mom and she's a wife and she's a student and she does it all very well so kudos to that 1988 Wonder where she came from, huh? Ah, wonder. <laughs> so, um, oh, that's just so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that piece. I think that's so just fantastic, and it melts my heart. Um, so we're kind of left at this like your fifteen just had this beautiful baby, and you know, well, then what? Like, did you go back to school? Did you decide to get a GED? Like. Mm-hmm. Well, being on Cosette and George Holt Acres out in the country with a new baby, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was rather rural, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. I did try to go to high school, mm-hmm. but it was just back then they, they, they had a little daycare on site because there were other teen girls and teen moms. It was becoming it was becoming very prevalent that girls were having babies very young in the late 80s. I mean, it was it, it was a explosion of that happening back then and so they had daycare on site but it was it was just the schools had the daycare and everything but they were not prepared for teens being moms right right I mean and and who could blame them you know I mean long gone over the June Cleaver days or whatnot and hell (laughs) I was not beaver you know so uh, (laughs) you know so so I ended up just going back home to my grandparents and dropping out of high school and ultimately years later a couple years later 1992 I got my GED Mm. I took the GED test five times before I passed it I passed it on the fifth time and you know I did acquire my GED and yeah I was on welfare and lived in chronic poverty for many years Mm-hmm. And lived in invisibility because in society, believe it or not, low-income people are not very visible and we're not seen as an asset to any economic roundtable. Uh-huh. And we're not seen beyond survival, mm-hmm. you know, survival-based programs and things like that. So I was in a world of poverty, brokenheartedness. And I begat three more children. You know, I have a total of four amazing children and they all have different fathers. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I was looking for love over and over again and found Mm -hmm. everything but love, but did inherit beautiful babies. But along with those beautiful babies, I also inherited more and more struggle. And being in the world where, you know, I was begging social services to give me food stamps, state medical, and, uh, you know, $742 a month in cash for a family of five, the only issue or, well, let's say the only issue, I'll say the main issue was that I wanted more than that. Right. Yeah. I had a brilliant mind and I knew it. My daddy had already told me and I used to sing Crystal Gale. Don't it make my brown eyes blue? You know, I was somebody, goddammit. You know, but the world was only looking at my socioeconomic situation. 
So I was very invisible. You know, Christmas came if I could get to St. Vincent de Paul on time to get my kids on the Christmas list. Thanksgiving came if I could get to Salvation Army and get us a food box for Thanksgiving. We were very invisible and I hated every bit of that. And I knew that I was giving my children a living legacy of poverty also. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't stand that. Right. And I would go to different social service programs and tell them I want to go to university. I want to get a degree. I want to start a nonprofit. I want to help other low income people. And they would pat me on the top of the head and tell me how great those ideas were. But right now we need you to fill out this job application for Target. Oh, man. Oh, soul crushing. Absolutely. Oh. And I would get so angry because I was begging for enhancement. I was asking them to use these taxpayer dollars that are taken from people's paycheck and let me actually build a good life and get off of your system and become a taxpayer my damn self. Hello? (laughs) It was like, nope, stay in this box. No, no, you're not. You're going to go work at Target and never be able to afford anything. Don't waste our time. Yeah. 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 You don't have a mind. mind. Wow. I really just want to acknowledge you. Like, <clears throat> thanks for sharing your humanity. Mm. Like, and I really think it's so important um, to emphasize, like, we all just want to be loved. We all just want to be loved. And we are all just trying our damnest to <laughs> find that love. Absolutely. So thank you for owning that. And again, like just like unapologetic is the word that just keeps coming back to me. <laughs> unapologetically be like, yeah, yes. I was yeah. looking for love in all the wrong places. Wrong places. Get anything but beautiful babies. Beautiful well, babies. Sounds like you found love. It just looked a little different. Yeah, it looked a little different. It looked and a little different. I just but- like, I love that you just like redefy sort of this image and sort of this like experience of like, don't put me in a box, you know, don't put me. In another one of your, I'm just going to be a target employee yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. Because you think that that's all that I can achieve. It's exactly. like, I love that. Like, yeah, you know, whomever, whatever, higher power, God, or whatever you believe in may have given you again, like mm-hmm. less than desirable circumstances. But like in this entire episode so far, like your tenacity mm. and your commitment, your drive mm-hmm. to like keep pushing no matter what keeps getting dealt to to you like I hope you as a listener can hear that in yourself like how can you just keep pushing you know just a little bit one tiny way of pushing a day um to fight for yourself absolutely and I'm glad you're saying that to your listeners because that's what it came down to and that's what I am completely all about Mm -hmm. is the power of hope Mm -hmm. I have a saying I say that Hope gives flame to the ashes. Mm. And I know that because I used to sit in the ashes and all I had was hope. Hope that was coupled with despair. They w- I would go back and forth with the two of them. Fortunately, hope won out. Okay. Ooh. Three cheers for hope. Dodge that button. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hope, hope won out the battle. But I want to kind of tell this part because I know we're getting winding down on the time. And I want to really emphasize all of this part, especially to anyone who is yeah. listening. Anyone who is listening and feel like, you know what, I've tried every damn thing I can think of. Nothing ever works for me. Mm. I'm nobody special. You know, I've had nothing but problems. My life has been hell. My heart has been broken. Mm. I'm not really, my life is just existing. If there's anybody that feels like this, that is listening, pick up your sword. Mm -hmm. Pick up your sword you still have the power to slay some dragons. Oh, I love that. I love that. Pick up your sword. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When the social service departments were telling me that I could not be who I was born to be, not who my circumstances were telling me that I was, but who I was born to be, I began to realize that it was me, my soul, my heart, my life against the world. Mm. 
Mm. I had to come up with a creative way to get somebody's attention. So I started going with my children to the local library. And while they would get on the free computers and draw pictures and play educational video games or go in the little children book area to read or whatever they were doing, I would gravitate to the business journals. I would gravitate to the magazines on entrepreneurship, enterprise, success. And I would read about people in these magazines. By seeing that, I began to realize that there was a world called success. And mm-hmm. I wanted it. <laughs> I freaking <Thirsty>. wanted that <laughs> damn. I, I want success. Okay. <laughs> I wanted success. And so... I had acquired another low-income job. They they would put us, they would send us out on these interviews to jobs that would hire the poor people. And I was working at a daycare center and I came across a working mother's magazine. I had never, ever heard of that magazine. Didn't even know they had a magazine that talked about working mothers. And even though my job was eking in existence, I was still working and on the clock. So I was a working mom too. (laughs) (laughs) I read the cover and it said three women who really know how to raise a ruckus. And I said, I could raise some shit right now. Let me find out what they raising because boy, I could raise something right now. (laughs) And so I read about these three women Mm -hmm. and one stood out in particular. And her name is Dina Dwyer Owens of the Dwyer Group in Waco, Texas. And this is the year now we have jumped from 1988 well, from 1985, from 1988 to we are now in 2004 in this story. So we got oh, a little wow. time frame here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have four kids by that time. And Dina at the time was the CEO of the Dwyer Group, which was a company formed by her father. And when he passed away, he made sure she was at the helm. She ran that company, he said, because he wanted to give a woman power. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was amazing in his, you know, his forethinking. And um, what was incredible about her article was that she was talking about watching a waitress at IHOP when her and her family went to have dinner there and how that waitress was hustling so hard for tips. And she said she couldn't get the waitress out of her mind when they got home and she was putting on her pajamas and she was still thinking about the fact that she figured that lady's feet must kill her at the end of her shift, every Mm -hmm. shift. And she said a striking thought came across her mind. And it was, if it was that hard for that woman working as a waitress, how hard must it be for women on welfare? I couldn't freaking believe what I had just read in a magazine, how hard it must be for women on welfare. So I, I, I got the phone number and physical address of her company. I wrote her a letter. Two weeks later, her executive secretary called me, told me Dina got the letter. She wanted to talk to me. Dina flew me out two and a half months later as an honorary guests at her monthly board franchise meeting, put me in a Hilton, put my plane ticket on her American Express and began to teach me how to change my life. Oh, wow. Mm. I went on to acquire my degree in public administration. Yes, I graduated summa cum laude. I served in a senatorial office and a congressional office as an intern while going to university. Mm. I the congressional office was on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. and Rayburn wow. Building. So I walked the marble halls all the time when I would be on the Hill. The mm-hmm. senatorial office was locally here in the state of Washington. I am an alumna of the prestigious think tank Brookings Institution. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of things, a lot of things. Wow. And now, again, I am a motivational, transformational public speaker, a coach, a mentor, and an author. My first book was titled From Welfare to the White House. And that is the name of my company as well, From Welfare to the White House. And I'm saying all of this to talk about hope. And Mm -hmm. again, if there's anyone that is listening and if you feel like your life circumstances are just so ridiculous that nothing can fix you or your life, please think again and pick up your sword. You still have Mm -hmm. dragons to slay. Yeah, I just like, oh, all the tears. So (laughs) I'm so leaky and weeping. Um, Yes, like, thank you. Um, And I, oh man, sorry. I am so deeply moved. And um, I just love that. Like, I, I love, and you're, I hear myself in this because I'm like, oh man, 
Girl, if it wasn't for self-help books, I don't know if I ever would have picked my ass off, you know, up off the ground um, and found my sword in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, and maybe you're not one for books. Like maybe you don't like reading. Maybe, you know, um, you know, you feel you have ADHD and can't focus enough, right? Like there are YouTube videos. There are, you know, other mediums, you know, Instagram starting to get a little more in the inspirational field. Um, you know, and, and there's meetups that are moving and you can find people that want to do the same things that you're doing. Um, and, and, you know, gosh, the online forums these days, there's so many forums that you check out webinars. I mean, there's online events. So if you were in the middle of gosh knows where, you know, the United States, and, you know, can't find these things or you're in a different country and you can't, uh, you know, maybe the people around you like aren't really as inspired to do the things you want to do. Get online. I mean, Coco, you even have an online event coming up, right? Like, well, uh, I have, uh, as far as online is, I have kicking it with Coco Mm -hmm. and that is a group that people can join and they can get to know me and I can get to know them. And, they are able to, if they want, be interviewed by me on kicking it with Coco live. So that that really takes care of that part of really interacting with people online. I have guests come on and mm. I tell them the whole reason why I want you on here is to toot your freaking horn. Toot your horn. Let your ego shine. Toot your freaking <sighs> horn. Tell I love us, that. Tell us, thank you. Tell us what your passions are. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you, you know, what is your why? How did you get started? What made you want to do this? Why is this important to you? Yeah. How can people contact you? Toot your horn. Toot your horn. So the whole purpose of kicking it with Coco Live is for people to come on and just relish in themselves, just mm-hmm. relish in all the wonderful things that they have to offer, the services, products themselves, everything. So that is the online aspect of dealing with me. I do. I love, I love that too. Like I want to, you know, if you're someone that I always pretend like someone's rolling their eyes because I like am from the East coast originally. So I know (laughs) if I said that out loud to anybody back home, they'd be like, really? Um, listen, like (laughs) why I want to emphasize this in a different language. It's like, yes, toot your own horn. But I hear this, like, um, for me, right. Like having been diagnosed with herpes and facing that adversity oh. and, and that devastating news and trying to pick myself back up. Um, I felt so alone. I felt like I was the only one who wanted to make something different of myself that wanted to overcome this, but like not just overcome this for me, but like overcome this for the world. And, you know, I felt like I was kind of alone in my desire to really work on myself and invest in myself and redefine my worth and who I was outside of this label and diagnosis. And when I found someone else who was also trying to dismantle the stigma, when I felt I found someone else who was also out there trying to make a difference in the STI world, um, it gave me more hope. Like it gave me more fuel that it isn't just me taking on the world. Now I can meet two people who are also trying to take on the world, who then introduced me to three more people that are also trying to do the same thing that I want to do and the difference that I want to make. And then it's like, now I know 30 people and it, it, it takes the weight off of what we want to do. It takes that limit of like, I can't possibly do this. And it makes so much possibility more present. And so, you know, maybe listen in to what Coco's offering and, and see like, is there anyone out there that's also doing what you want to do? Maybe they're one step ahead. Maybe they're parallel. Maybe they're 10 steps ahead. Maybe they have a whole network behind them. Um, I think that that's super important that we lift each other up and that we really allow people to be seen in the work that they're doing because that's how we create these movements. So thank you for doing that. That's huge. Thank you for the acknowledgement. I appreciate that. And Mm -hmm. It is huge. That is what it's all about. It's about community. It's about people loving who they are in their own skin. Mm -hmm. It's about saying who you are. I'll take a pointer from you unapologetically, you know, (laughs) be be unapologetic about who you are, own who you are, Mm -hmm. and know that your story of your life has happened for a reason or two reasons. It's happened to impact you, first of all, and so that you can impact other people. I've had people ask me, 
how have I come out of all of those things that I lived in and lived through and that I have a loving heart. I have all of my mental capacity. Mm -hmm. I'm not jaded. And I tell them it's because I lived through those struggles, tribulations, and chaotic life in order to be able to relate to somebody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yes, I like people coming on, kicking it with Coco Live to toot their horn, to relish in their ego, to tell the world who they are and why they are and why they're going to do what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. Let's get it done. Yes. I love that. I do. And that is online through Facebook. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for me on Facebook, you look for Cosette Leary and you can look for kicking it with Coco and you can find me there. I do have a live women's event coming up on January 18th, 2020. I know, right? Can We are ending a decade. We are ending a Girl. decade. The last 10 years are done. I just like, January is so important. Um, I hate to be so cliche, but new year, new you, right? How Girl. can you step into the piece that and the part of you that you want to be or that you want to magnify and like, let's not do this alone. Okay. So no matter where you are, there is no excuse. I tell us more about this event. Like how, what can we expect? What are we doing? Yes, Come on, let's talk about it. This is my very first live event, live women's event. I have spoke on other people's stages for years. I have enjoyed doing that. And this is the first time that I'm having people speak on my stage Mm -hmm. and greet my audience. And so I am tremendously thrilled about that to the rooftop. Mm -hmm. And the event is called, It's All About You. Because it is just that it's a celebration of every woman that's going to be in that room. And it is all about her. Okay. And it's all about who she is in her skin, this exact moment and why she needs to love herself inside and out, celebrate herself, dance around the room, shout, scream, sing, whatever, and know that she is awesome in her own right and own that. And so this is taking place again on January 18th, 2020. That's a Saturday. It's at the Shiloh Inn Hotel at the Portland PDX Airport. This event is fully catered. There are three menu choices. The first one is bistro steak and grits. The second one is grilled chicken cob salad. And Mm. the third is the chef vegan specialty dish. So if any Mm. of you want to come out and have a great lunch meal in a beautiful ballroom, go on and let's get it started. So that is what that event is. And I am super duper excited. And I want to mention that I do have a special gift here today. Okay. Yes. Anyone who is listening, Mm -hmm. the first three people that will go on Facebook and look me up, Cosette Leary, or you can look me up through Kicking It With Coco, because I'll check both of these and I'll see. Well, Mm -hmm. let me change it because I want to be as fair as possible. Just go to... (laughs) Because I'm like, people are going to go to either one. and then So go to... Timestamps. Look at the timestamps. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just go comment to- what time it is and what yes. day. And then she will... And I'll find it. And, so- and very important too. I, I know maybe you're listening. Maybe you're driving. Uh, Cosette, I really want to spell this. C-O-S-E-T-T-E. I'm yes. a horrific speller. Um, so C-O-S-E-T-T-E. Leary, L-E-A-R-Y. It's going to be in the show notes. You can Mm -hmm. have the link in there. So check it out. She's on Eventbrite's. Um, I really can't emphasize enough just how important it is. Like I was suffering in in silence and alone. And um, I mean, my first... Uh, uh, my first event, my first seminar, it's Mm -hmm. literally like you're taking these personal development, like self-help books out of text. Like you're taking them off the pages and then you're getting like poured into in real life in person. Like it, it was the most pivotal part. Um, because then I got to meet, uh, you know, a coach there and I got to, uh, meet other people that are up to big things. And it's just like, you know, I really always emphasize, 
I'm from Pittsburgh. I mean, back then when I lived there, I, I, there weren't entrepreneurs. I, I don't know anybody that was doing anything but the norm. Um, and very few people, I felt like I, I talked about going to college. So I, I get, I've been there. I've been there when you're this entrepreneur and you're this creative and you're in a city or a place with no creatives or entrepreneurs or anybody that gets that, like, why, why would you want to deviate from the norm? Why are you doing that? Why would you do that? Um, it's so important. So please, um, it sounds like it's right by the airport. Portland's an incredible it city. To it's come right visit. there in the airport. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. like, it's oh. in the airport. And again, the first three people to mm-hmm. message me will get free tickets to the event. What a gift. That so please gift. So follow her. You please can find go her. to Kicking It With Coco on Facebook. Find that group. Find Kicking It With Coco. And the first three people to message me, and you need to put Clarissa's name in the message. Could that way I that will one. know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that way I will know that you heard this gift awesome. on her blog Yay. and you are messaging me to get that free ticket. And awesome. the first three people that I see do that, you have a free ticket to this event. And thanks so much for your generosity because I love it that way that like this woman gave to you, like this yes. woman was able to you know, gift you this opportunity and you're going around and you're turning and doing the same for others. So thank you so much for your generosity. And like, it's so empowering to hear that you turned your life around, that you turned so much of what was going on into such a like platform to stand on, you know, something to step on. And, and it's, amazing that you didn't just stop with you, right? Like I imagine who you were being is what heavily influenced your daughters, you know, Mm. and your children. And Mm -hmm. I imagine that it's, it's also in your work and who you you work with and, and to share that now even larger with those in the city and the nation and and who you're being. Thank you. Um, thank you. That is truly a heart empowered woman. And I'm so honored that you could join us and share your story today. And uh, thank you. Thank you.